रामकथा रसवाहिनी चैप्टर थ्री नो प्रोजनी फ्रॉम हिस लॉयस रावणा द राक्षस किंग ऑफ लंका हर्ड ऑफ दशरथा एंड इज फेम ही वॉज सो फील्ड विथ एनवी दैट ही डिटर्मिंड ऑन श्योर प्लान टू डेस्ट्रॉय हिम बाय मीन्स फेयर और फाउल रावणा सॉट फॉर एन एक्सक्यूज टू प्रवोक दशरथा इन टू ए फाइट वन डे He sent word through a messenger that unless tribute was paid to him he would have to meet Ravana on the battlefield and demonstrate his superior might in war. This call was against international morality but what morality did a rakshasa respect? When Dasharatha heard the messenger speak he laughed outright in derision. Even while messenger was looking on he shot sharp deadly arrows which reached lanka itself and fastened the gates of that city addressing the envoys dasharatha said well sirs i have now made fast the doors of your fortress city your master cannot open them however hard he may try That is the tribute I pay to your impertinent lord. When the envoys returned and informed Ravana of this, he was shocked to find all the doors closed fast. The desperate efforts made by Ravana with all his men met with failure. They could not open the gates. When Ravana was struck with shame, strangely enough, the arrows returned to Ayodhya. and the doors flew open ravana however decided that he must overpower all the rulers of the world and realizing that he could do so only by winning divine grace he went over to the depths of the forest and selected a favorable auspicious spot for his ascetic practices the ascetism of ravana was so intense and satisfying that god brahma was compelled to appear before him and offered to grant him whatever boon he desired ravana ask for anything you want i shall give you your heart's desire said brahma ravana was revolving in his mind the insult he had suffered at the hands of dasharatha he argued that dasharatha might get even mightier sons from whom he might suffer more so he asked the boon he wanted lord bless me with this gift of grace let no child be born from the loins of dasharatha at this brahma said so be it and immediately vanished from the scene lest ravana might frame another false request if he were present before him ravana started about proud and devoid of fear exulting over his prowess and success meanwhile another project entered his head dasharatha is a youth of marital age now if i so contrive that he does not marry at all it will make my safety doubly sure 
he thought within himself. Looking about with the aid of his Rakshasa skills, he discerned that there was a great likelihood that Dasharatha will wed the daughter of the king of Kosala. So he decided to put an end to that princess. When one's own destruction is imminent, reason turns crooked, as the saying goes. He entered the Kosala kingdom stealthily in disguise and kidnapped the princess. Placing her in a wooden box, he cast it over the waves of the sea. Ravana could not see the truth that nothing can ever happen without the concurrence of the divine will. Brahma willed otherwise. The box was carried by the waves onto the shore. The place where it landed was a fine recreation area. The next day, Sumantra, the Prime Minister of Dasharatha, happened to visit the place on a quiet holiday to be spent in discussing within himself the problems of the state. His eyes fell on the box. He retrieved it and opened it. He was surprised to find in it a charming girl with attractive shining eyes and a halo of divine splendor. Sumantra was overcome with pity. He spoke soft and sweet to the girl. Little one, how did it happen that you were placed inside this box? She replied, Sir, I am the princess of the Kosala kingdom. My name is Kausalya. I am not aware how I came inside this box, nor who placed me in it. I was playing with my companions in the palace gardens, and I do not remember what happened to me. Sumantra was moved by her simple and sincere statement. He said, Such barbarian stratagems are resorted to only by Rakshasas. They are beyond the ken of men. I shall take you to your father and place you in his hands. Come with me. Let us go without delay. Sumantra placed her in his chariot and proceeded to Kosala, where he restored her to the king and recited before the court the details known to him. The king too interrogated Sumantra in various ways. He discovered that he was none other than the minister of the court of Dasharatha, emperor of Ayodhya, and that his master was still unmarried. He was filled with joy at the discovery. He said, Minister, you brought back to me this child of mine, saving her from destruction. So, I have resolved to give her in marriage to your master himself. Please inform the king of my offer. He honored Sumantra with due ceremony and sent him with the court priest and appropriate presence. Sumantra told Dasharatha in detail all that had happened. In order to confirm his acceptance, Dasharatha sent with the court priest of Kosala his own court priest with gifts of auspicious nature. The date and time were fixed. Dasharatha proceeded to the Kosala capital accompanied by a magnificent array of elephantry, chariotry, cavalry and infantry. The paean of music which marched with him reached the sky and echoed from the horizon. The marriage of Dasharatha and Kausalya was celebrated with resounding grandeur and splendor.
the king of Kosala took Sumantra near him and said, You are the person who brought about this glory. Of course, nothing ever happens without God's will. Nevertheless, how can I repay the debt I owe you and demonstrate my gratitude to you? Please, honor my offer and accept it. Bye. Be wedded this day itself in my capital city. If you agree, I shall arrange for the celebration of that joyous event this very day. Dasharatha and Sumantra gave their consent to the proposal. Sumantra was married to the daughter of Viradasa of the clan of Ganga. The news of the marriages of both king and prime minister at the same place on the same day spread throughout the kingdom. was filled with wonder and delight. The festival lasted three days. The populace were treated to music, drama, dance and other forms of entertainment. Night and day were packed with excitement and joy. On the fourth day, Dasharatha started back for Ayodhya with his queen and courtiers as well as minister Sumantra with his bride and entourage. They entered the city amidst the acclamation of the people. His subjects exulted at the marriages of both king and minister. They danced in the streets and shouted, Jai! Jai! till their throats got hoarse. They lined the streets to see their queen. They sprinkled rose water on the roads by which they came and welcomed them waving flames of camphor. Dasharatha resumed his royal duties and ruled the realm with love and care. Often he went with his consort on exertions into the forests and spent his days happily. But as time sped through days, Months and even years, the shadow of distress darkened the face of the king, for the pang of being childless saddened him. The king consulted priests, pundits and ministers, and when he knew that their desire confirmed the earnest prayer of Kausalya, he married another wife, Sumitra. Sumitra lived up to her name, for she was indeed full of virtues. Kausalya and Sumitra were bound to each other by ties of affection far stronger than between a mother and child. Each yearned to give joy to the other. Each had deep fortitude, detachment 
and sympathy. But in spite of the lapse of many years, no signs of the king securing a successor to the throne were evident. Moved by despair, the king married a third wife at the insistence of the two queens. She was Kaikai, the exquisitely charming daughter of the king of Kekaya in Kashmir. The king of Kekaya, however, laid down certain conditions before agreeing to give his daughter away in marriage. He insisted that the son born of Kekai should have the right of accession to the throne. If the king of Ayodhya could not agree to this, he declared he would not consent. Garga, the court priest, brought back the message to Ayodhya. Kausalya and Sumitra recognized the ardor of the king to wed the princess of Kekaya, whose beauty was being extolled highly by all. They felt that the duty of a true wife is to obey the least wish of the husband and do her best to help the realization of that wish. They also knew full well that the imperial line of Ayodhya can never be polluted by a son who would transgress dharma. Though Dasharatha might promise that the son of the third wife could succeed to the throne, the son of Kekai born in the dynasty would certainly be an embodiment of righteousness, free from blemish. So, they pleaded with him with palms meeting in prayer. Lord, what greater happiness can we have than yours? Accept the conditions laid down by the king of Kekaya and wed his daughter and ensure the continuity of this dynasty of Raghu. There is no need to spend even a minute's thought upon this. The words of the queens fanned his native order to an even brighter flame. Therefore, the king sent Garga back with many presents, agreeing to the terms and informing the king that he was following fast for the wedding ceremony. The ceremony itself was celebrated with lavish magnificence. Dasharatha returned to his capital, shining like the moon amidst the stars, when he passed through the streets in procession accompanied by the three queens. The king treated each of them with equal consideration. They too evinced equal love and respect towards each other and the king. They adored him and were afraid to displease him. They endeavored their best to carry out his wishes and not to hinder his desire, for they revered him as their god in the tradition of true wife. They lived with such intimate mutual love that it appeared as if all three had one breath, though they moved about as three bodies. Years passed, the king and the queens crossed the bounds of youth, the middle age and approached the realm of old age. There were no signs of a son. Therefore, though the women's apartments of the palace had all the comforts and accessories needed for happy existence, 
the hearts of the queens were torn by unrest, anxiety, and despair. One evening, the four, the king and his queens, sat in a room of the palace, spending hours of anxiety over the future of Ayodhya and the prospects of his prosperity and safety. And each attempted to answer intelligently and pleasantly. At last, unable to resolve the problem, they rose, heavily dejected, and decided that they should consult the family preceptor, Vasishta. and accept his advice at break of dawn vasishta was respectfully invited to grant his presence many pundits and counselors were also called for consultation the king placed before them the problem of finding a successor to rule the vast realm between the two seas the imperial domain under the sway of the raghu dynasty Overcome by despair, Dasharatha prayed to the elders in plaintive terms for beneficial suggestions. Vasishta dwelt long in thought. At last he opened his eyes and spoke thus. King, you need not grieve thus. Ayodhya will not be rendered masterless. She will not suffer widowhood. This domain will be gay, happy and prosperous in unbroken festivity. and ever green with festoonry she will be the guardian of right living reverberating with music and joy i will not agree to the raising of a prince from some other dynasty to the throne of ayodhya the grace of god is a gift inscrutable the vow of righteousness which you are fulfilling will surely bring you the supreme joy of having a son do not delay any further invite the sage Rishyashringa the son of Vibandaka and perform with him has the high priest the sacred yaga called Putra Kameshti the yaga prescribed for those desirous of begetting a son so make all the necessary ceremonial and ritual arrangements for the yaga forthwith your desire will be achieved without fail the queens listened to these reassuring words spoken so emphatically by Vasishta they were filled with ananda bliss the bud of hope bloomed anew in their hearts they retired into their apartments praying most earnestly the king searched among his entourage for the most appropriate emissary to be sent to rishyashringa son of vibandaka and to invite him to the imperial capital on such a mission at last he called near him his old friend romapada the king of the anga state and sent him with necessary instructions and equipment meanwhile arrangements for the yaga were put through on the bank of sacred sarayu river attractive sacrificial altars were constructed in conformity with sacred injunctions the city was decorated with flags and festoons as was anticipated 
the great Rishyashringa entered the city of Ayodhya to the great delight of all with his consort Santha. Emperor Dasharatha welcomed the sage at the main gate of the palace. He ceremonially washed the feet of the distinguished saint. He placed on his own head a few drops of the water sanctified by his feet. He then fell at the feet of Vasishta and prayed to him to inquire from Rishyashringa the proper procedure for the contemplated yaga. Rishyashringa wanted that the ministers and scholars be seated in appointed order. He directed the king also to sit on his throne. Then he described the various processes of the ceremony so that the court priests could note them for their guidance. He gave them in such detail that everyone even knew where exactly he was to sit in the sacrificial hall. The sage decided that the yaga shall begin on the stroke of seven the very next day. spread all over the city in a trice. Before dawn, every street was decorated with green festoons. Every road was packed with people, pressing forward to the vast open space on the bank of the Sarayu where the Yaga was to be performed. The river bank was thick with the eager populace. Rishyashringa with his consort Santa entered the specially built Yaga Mantap with the king and queens while Vedic chanting and the music of bugle, trumpet and clarinet and the cheers of the people resounded from the sky. Rishyashringa was installed as the Brahma or the chief organizer for the Yaga. He assigned various tasks like worship, recitation, chanting, propitiation etc. to scholars in consideration of their qualifications. The offerings were placed in the sacred fire with the prescribed formula by Rishyashringa himself with deep devotion and faith. From the fire that was scripturally fed, there arose before all eyes a divine person who shone with blinding splendor of a sudden stroke of lightning. He held a bright vessel in his hands. At this, the vast concourse including the priests, were petrified with wonder, awe, fear and joy. They were overwhelmed by the sudden onrush of bliss and mystery. The king and queens shed tears of joy. They cast their looks upon the divine person and prayed to him with folded palms. Rishyashringa continued the formula with undisturbed equanimity as the texts prescribe offering oblations to the fire. Suddenly, a voice, as on the day of merchants, resounded from the dome of the sky. Rishyashringa sat aghast and sought to listen to the message from above. Maharaja, accept this vessel and give the sacred paisam full brought therein in appropriate shares to your three queens. The voice announced. Placing the vessel in the hands of the king, 
the mysterious person who had emerged from the flames disappeared into them. The joy of the people, princes, pundits and priests who witnessed this great manifestation knew no bounds. Soon the final rituals were completed and the Maharaja returned in procession to the palace with the sacred vessel gifted by the gods in his hands. End of chapter 3 Sairam Bye. 
पाने पाठर बितारे एक ही बाढ़ ने दुष्ट संभारे चरणों की धूल ने जन्मदिन उन्हीं का मना लो जन्मदिन उन्हीं का मना लो मुबारक हो सबको जन्मदिन गिरा रघुपति राघव राजा राम पति तपावन सीताराम रघुपति राघव राजा राम पति तपावन राम सीता राम सीता राम सीता राम राम सीता 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 राम स